electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. He'll be here in just moments. Tonight on Fast, we're all over the after-hours action. Shares of Zoom, the stock turning negative after a post-earnings pop. The company's call is just kicking off, bringing the latest from the quarter straight ahead. Plus, a bold call on Bitcoin. One big investor says the cryptocurrency is headed to $250,000. He'll tell us his timeline and how it gets there. And later, the big rush. You're looking live at Chicago O'Hare Airport as thousands of passengers get a jump start on Thanksgiving travel. We'll break down what's at stake for the airlines as we kick off a very busy week ahead. We start off with a late-day sell-off in the markets. The S&P tumbling in the last hour of the session despite trading in record territory for most of the day. Meantime, two-year yields spiking to their highest level since March 2020 after Fed Chairman Jay Powell was nominated for a second term. The news also sending the dollar rallying the Dixie at its highest since July of last year. And take a look at what that's doing to some high valuation names. Stocks like Rivian, Airbnb, CrowdStrike all plunging today. So is this all a sign under the surface there may be much more trouble than the markets now realize? Dan Nathan, what concerns you this evening? Well, Mel, you said it was a late day dump. And, you know, the Nasdaq was trading very poorly throughout the day. The Russell 2000 felt a bit heavy. We talked a little bit last week at that breakout in the Russell, which was another sign of possibly the market broadening out right down to small caps and just maybe suggesting that growth is going to be better than expected or at least um, feels right now. There's just so much action in the NASDAQ that acts so badly. And I'm going to say, not just the stocks that act badly, but the crowding and the mega cap names. That's like really troubling to me also because it really feels, Mel, like the last pillar of this rally with the S&P, like you said, it was up on the opening at a new all-time high. And I was looking at my screens. I'm like, okay, Apple was up 2%. Um, Microsoft was up a percent. Um, Home Depot was up. Exxon was up. JP Morgan was up. It felt like a market from 20 years ago. But under the hood, there was like devastation. The stuff that's been down 50% was down like 4 or 5%. Some of the other high valuation names that have hung in there, smaller market caps, were getting destroyed too. So, you know, to me, it just felt like a lot of bad action, the stuff that they were crowding in and then the stuff that they were selling that there was no low, low enough for. I mean, talk about crowding. Apple and Microsoft are up more than 10 percent, about 10 percent in just the past month. Um, So it's not just today where Apple hit a new record high. Um, Tim and BK, both on our 1230 conference call, said this is a huge day for the market. So I'll start with BK. Why, Why do you think so? Well, I mean, listen, Dan hit the nail on the head when he said you expected that growth was going to be better. And if you look at the message from the bond market today and the moves there, it says the Federal Reserve is either already behind the curve and is going to have to raise interest rates fairly quickly and a lot quicker than people thought. And by doing so, they're going to slow the growth of the economy. So that's why you see that today. You saw the bond market move that translated into the high P.E. names the names that probably would do that aren't going to do very well in a slower growth environment. 
And that's what we're seeing. So this is a bit of a change in regard. Not only that, when I look at the bond market and let's take the 10-year, for example, once you get the 10-year above 1.75, that starts to become a, growth, a drag on economic growth. So all of those things together, you have to readjust what your economic and your earnings per share forecast was. That's why this is a big day for the market. Add into that, and though Tim will talk about this a lot because he's, he's nailed this one, the U.S. dollar. The higher the U.S. dollar goes, the worse it is for the global economy. We've been saying it for years. The U.S. dollar is the new VIX. You watch that go up, you want to sell equities. All right. So, Tim, what, what makes you concerned about this uh, ascent of the dollar? Well, it certainly it, it could be a major drag on growth, especially we know that north of 50 percent of the revenue stream from the S&P 500 comes internationally. And But, you know, the flip side of that is it actually should be helping the Fed out a little bit and, and dampening down inflation. But but look, dollars had a 5 percent move since September, up 3.3 percent since November. And, and just all of what both Dan and BK are talking about is, is related to, I think, on some level, just where we've come from. It's always in the context of where we've come from is how you have to talk about the market. This is an S&P that's up over 10 percent from that October four lows. So, uh, you know, 35 sessions, you've had a massive move and the Nasdaq has outperformed the S&P by about four and a half percent since that low. So um, the fact that you're seeing high multiple tech stocks and, and then Right. The de-SPAC names. I mean, if, if you look, uh, whether it's DraftKings, whether it's Open Door, whether it's Skills, I mean, you know, you name them. Something was going on today, but it's something that actually really has been going on probably for six weeks. So I, I think there's two different dynamics here. And I think technically uh, you're starting to see uh, some of those breakdowns accelerate, not not necessarily start you know, seeing an end line. Um, the fact that the two year in two days has gone from 44 bips up to 59, as BK and Dan have also you know, expressed here. This is the market basically pushing the Fed around. And, and on a day when we uh, seemingly have put Powell in the driver's seat to return for a second term, um, he's going to be turning back to an economy that's in a very different place. He's going to have a very different job in term two than he had in term one. And I think, you know, that it's all in the context of where we've come from. And that's what today was about. I mean, Secretary Janet Yellen just made these comments about inflation. Um, and so this is what Powell's going to have to deal with in a second term. Let's take a listen to what she said. I think we do have to be concerned about inflation. Um, it's reached a level that concerns um, most Americans who are seeing it in their pocketbook when they um, go to the store to buy food or to uh, fill up their cars at the pump. I think it's uh, partly a reflection of the fact that pandemic has had a severe influence in our economy and it's part of uh, a demand supply imbalance and getting on track. But um, the administration, the White House is doing everything we can to address supply chain bottlenecks that are uh, boosting prices and over the longer run the Fed um, needs to play an important role to make sure that this doesn't become endemic. The Fed needs to play an important role to make it almost seems like she is sort of opening the door to rate hikes sooner rather than later, Guy. I, I don't know. Call me a conspiracy theorist or maybe it's hanging around you guys for too long. But that's that's the way your mind goes when you're in the markets. Right. Without question, and you're not a conspiracy theorist, I'll wear that hat for you, Mel. But, I mean, 
in terms of the Fed needs to play a role, yeah, well, they already played the role. They got us here. So whatever role they play going forward is going to be them playing from behind. They're playing from a position of weakness, not a position of strength. That's just my opinion. But I think the market's coming to that conclusion as well. And Tim just hit the nail on the head. I mean, two-year yields should not move with that type of speed, uh, in my opinion. And the fact that yields are moving with the volatility that they are, to me, is very concerning. I've said that for a while. Now, the stock market hasn't cared. Today, for a brief moment, they seem to care. We'll see if that continues on. But the fact that 10-year yields can go from 163 to 142, back to 162, in about a week, week and a half of trading, to me, is really problematic. And when that volatility manifests itself in the stock market, again, I don't know who Katie is, but she better bar the door. We've seen this kind of volatility. I mean, just to play it as we've seen this kind of volatility in yields specifically before. This is not the first time we've seen huge moves and on a historical basic basis, huge moves in, in yields. The question, I think, tomorrow is if this change in the market actually translates to dip buyers not coming back in tomorrow, Dan. I mean, it should be very interesting to see if people step back into this market again, as we've seen again and again and again. Yeah, Mel, I think the stuff that didn't work in Q1 when rates were going higher, when the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield was at 1.77%, that was mega cap tech. If you remember, the NASDAQ, after a quick ramp in January and the start of February, almost gave it all back, right? So mega cap tech, which is the market right now, if you look at those top six names, you know what they are. They make up 25% of the S&P 500 and nearly 50% of the NASDAQ 100. They didn't like higher rates. That's the risk right here with the s S&P 500 at 24% up on the year, the risk is that those names start to underperform or come in. You just said, look at the Apple chart. Do we have it here, people? It went up straight line, 10%. That's not normal for the largest market cap company in the world. Or if you look at Microsoft, up about 20% in a straight line over the last six weeks. So that's the risk. I don't think this is going to get really nasty. I'm not particularly concerned about the volatility in the 10-year between 1.4 and 1.6. If it goes from 1.61, where it is right now, to 2% in a straight line, then you're going to have a problem. But what does that mean for stocks? Maybe down 10%. Might that be the best setup that we have going into 2022, where valuations are as investors have to reprice risk with rates going higher? Again, I don't think rates are going much higher, and I think that's its own set of problems for some of these growth names also. Banks paired their gains as well, but they still did pretty decently on the day. So riddle me this, Tim Seymour, as an investor in banks, one that you are, that is. Um, So banks are looking more at the steepening yield curve versus the impact of higher yields on growth. Possibly. uh, This may also be a day when banks breathe a sigh of relief that the same sheriff is meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Uh, Like the Federal Reserve Mm. does govern the banks. Uh, There's a lot of criticism from certain sides of the aisle that that think that maybe they should be more aggressive. So uh, maybe reprieve day for the banks. Um, Look, the last six weeks have been kind of reprieve uh, period for the move in banks. But I mean, look at Bank of America, just just a whisper off of all time highs. And again, a a very tough slog to get there. Um, I I think this is a combination of a a little bit of uh, uh, Powell, um, you know, call it goodwill. Um, and just banks reasserting themselves after pausing. I think in terms of valuations, it's been tough to argue that banks don't give you the best combination of value, uh, increased capital markets, dividend yields, buybacks, uh, and a dynamic where, look, everything we're talking about means higher rates, at least for the short term until possibly the Fed oversteps their bounds. Banks look good. 
Bank of America had an interesting call on the markets. They're bearish for next year. Pretty bearish, and they're saying that this has been a very unconventional cycle. So why should we think that the cycle will come to an end in a conventional way? And they're saying long oil, long energy, long U.S. dollar, long volatility, long real assets. Brian Kelly, do you like that playbook? <laughs> yeah, it kind of sounds like my portfolio is what that sounds like. Why ask? Uh, yeah, I like that playbook. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, let's, let's think about it, right? We know that there, that there is, in many commodities, that there is going to be a shortage. Let's take oil, for example. Even if Japan and the U.S. decide that they're going to do 30 million barrels, that's only a, a, literally a drop in the bucket. And so going forward into 2022, you're going to have a, likely have a shortage in the oil market. Then you had OPEC Plus come out today and say, listen, if the U.S. and Japan decides that they are going to release uh, from their SPR, we actually might not uh, increase our production. So oil prices are likely to stay high. You go down the commodity complex, I think that's probably one of the best places to invest now, real assets. And then let's think about, let's go six months down the road and the Fed raises rates. What happens to the economy? It slows down. What's their tool? Their tool is you raise rates, you slow the economy enough so people go out of work, become unemployed, and can't buy as much stuff. So they reduce the demand side. Well, what's going to happen then? The Fed has to print money again. So we've got this kind of six-month period of lots of volatility. But when you come out the other side, you're going to want to buy commodities. You're going to want to buy oil. And people are doing that now. The other part of their call, Bank of America's call, is that the mother of all bubbles is happening right now in crypto. But we'll get to crypto a little bit later on in the show. Put a pin on that mm. for now. We've got an earnings alert right now on Zoom. The stock is giving up its after-hours gains with the company's call underway. Let's get to Christina Parts-Nevelis with the details. Christina. Melissa, it's quite the turn of events that you highlighted because shares of Zoom are up 8% as soon as earnings came out. And now, as investors are parsing through the details, shares, like you mentioned, are just pretty much flat. So the company that replaced face-to-face communications during the pandemic posted Q3 earnings and revenue that beat the street. Revenues are actually up 35% year over year. Zoom also posted higher than anticipated fourth quarter earnings per share, as well as improved customer growth, with customers contributing more than $100,000 each annually. So that's up 94% compared to last year. And as we know, as schools and workplaces reopen, concerns about slowing growth and competition from the likes of Microsoft, Facebook, and Verizon have contributed to Zoom's sell-off in the last three months. The stock is down over 20 29% just in the last three months. And that decline caused Zoom's planned merger, $14.7 billion merger with a call center software firm, 5.9, to completely fall through this past September. Investors say it was a lost opportunity to broaden capabilities, but Zoom highlighted several new capabilities in its latest earnings report, Zoomtopia, an events platform where businesses can host large-scale conferences, Zoom phone, as well as Zoom rooms. All details we might hear on the earnings call that's going on right now. Now, I'd like to point out, though, we will have Zoom's CFO on Squawk Box this upcoming Wednesday. Back to you. All right. Christina, thank you. Christina Parts-Nevelis. Um, Tim Seymour, how are you feeling about Zoom these days? I'm happy I don't own it. And, and I think it's a case <laughs> where even after they've given you some guidance on, on next year, this stock's still 60 times earnings. Uh, I realize it's a growth stock. Um, but yes, when you have the biggest companies in the world uh, looking to, to take a piece of your turf or already have, uh, or certainly just operate in your space and offer a broader platform, that's what this story's been about. I, I actually think Zoom's going to find its space. It's not going to find its space in this market, as we talked about, because I still think high multiple stocks are going to be under pressure. But 
it, it doesn't really matter right now what they talk about in terms of uh, the broadening of the platform, the engagement, the, the enterprise growth that, that they are seeing. Um, it's all going to be relative to where it's come from. So um, I, I, I just don't think it's time to step in and buy a high multiple stock like this. It's been downhill for the stock for about a year, Guy. What do you think? It's interesting. You go back to August 2020, and this stock exploded from the 235 level. Just go back and look what it did from August until October. That's, by the way, when it made its all-time high. It got hammered during the day. Now it's selling off now. Stock trades about 4 million shares, 5 million shares a day. I think you're going to see a day tomorrow where it trades north of 30 million shares. You might get your capitulation day. Now, everything Tim said is spot on, but you know they've really whacked, whaled away on this stock now for a while. You might finally get that day where sellers just, you know, pile in, buyers say no mas, and you get an opportunity to buy the stock for a trade. I think it comes in the form of 235. I think it happens on a big volume day tomorrow. Coming up, the big rush, just three days until Turkey Day, or Thanksgiving, and that means millions of Americans are hitting the skies. We're live at one of the nation's busiest airports with what is at stake this week for the airlines. Plus, Bitcoin goes bust. The crypto is sinking below $60,000. So where is it headed next? We'll break it down for you when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. The mad dash is on. Millions of Americans expected to take the skies as we close in on Thanksgiving weekend. Let's get to Phil LeBeau live on the ground at the Chicago O'Hare Airport with more on the holiday rush. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa, a quiet start to the Thanksgiving travel rush, and that's exactly what the airlines and travelers want to see. This week, how busy will it be? Pretty darn busy, the busiest since the pandemic. 4.2 4.2 million people are expected to fly, according to Triple Eight. That's down just 9% compared to Thanksgiving in 2019. The busiest day, as it always is, it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. For the big four airlines, take a look at these stocks. All of them believe they are well prepared to handle the Thanksgiving travel rush. In the case of Southwest, as well as American, they have dialed back their schedules from what they originally planned to fly during the holiday season. They also have made sure that they're going to have enough staff in place. One thing that you cannot change this uh, pandemic Thanksgiving in terms of the airlines and air travel is the fact that we're now talking about unruly passengers. That's not something we discussed very often in the past during the holiday season. But here's the good news. According to the FAA, the percentage of incidents, in other words, the rate of incidents per 10,000 flights, it's coming down. Now, it's still an issue, and the FAA is still concerned about it, as are the airlines. But the rate of these incidents has been dropping. 
As for the other airlines from the U.S., we're talking about Alaska, JetBlue, Spirit, Frontier. They all believe that they're going to have solid holiday seasons. They're seeing solid bookings across the board. One thing that is not good for any of the airlines, jet fuel prices. Up 70% year over year, Melissa. And that is a concern for all the airlines. Yes, they're raising airfares. But when you have jet fuel going up 70% in a year, that makes it tough on all of the carriers. And the investors are showing that, given what we've seen from the airline stocks over the last month or two. Melissa, back to you. All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. Um, tough duty there at Chicago O'Hare. Tim Seymour, what do you think of the airlines here? I, I tell you, I, you know, I, I tend to have a glass half full on the airlines. I think they're incredible trading stocks. And I think Delta Airlines around 39 and a quarter. This is a level uh, it's been bottoming at. It's been testing for a year. Um, I do think you have a case where the international story is getting better for them. The front of the bus is filling up a little bit. I think it's the best balance sheet of the majors. Uh, and I do think it's a case where we are starting to, to, to really challenge any of the Delta headwinds. And I think their business isn't back as it was, especially because of the business travel. But I think if you look at the stock, uh, and the valuation within the group, it's the most interesting of the names. I like it. What worries me, though, is what's going on internationally in terms of Austria going into lockdown again, Chancellor Angela Merkel talking about potentially Germany going into lockdown again. I mean, as far as we have come here in the United States, there's still another wave going on around the world. Um, Brian Kelly, how do you think we should think? Do we go back to the old playbook where you really want airlines that are more uh, exposed to domestic travel as opposed to international? I mean, yeah, if you want the relative value trade, that's probably right, right? You know, you buy something like a Spirit and sell something like a Delta or, or something like that because you're not going to get that international travel and you're probably not going to get the higher level of uh, business travel. Tim talks about the front of the bus. I think he means first class. Generally, I'm in the back, middle seat by the latrine. Uh, but I've seen those people up there and it's not as full as it used to be. So I think the question you have to ask yourself with the airlines now are, is this as good as it get? What more do you want? You've got pent-up demand, huge holiday travel season. Everybody's booking, and yet they still can't get out of their own way. So I'm more of a trader of these stocks. You look at these in the low end of the range, sell them at the top end of the range, but I don't think I'd be an investor in these. Some people like that seat by the latrine because it's just more convenient. Guy, what do you think That's of the true. airlines? You know, that's an age joke, Mel. I mean, no, it, what you're it's saying not. is it's people my age have to go to the bathroom often, and I'm right there, so I get it. It's fine. I understand. <laughs> well, if you recall, it was around this time last year that you asked us, what's when you link letters together and make a word? What's that called, like a homonym or something? Well, you asked us to do that, and if you recall, the E in the Hope trade was Expedia. I mentioned that because they reported a decent quarter. The problem is technicians will say major double top at 191, and they priced a million share secondary, I think, at 188 through Morgan Stanley. That took all the wind out of the sales. You have to get back into the stock. Where do you get back in? Well, the 50% retracement of the August low, which is about 135, gets you to 162 at a 50% retracement. That's where you buy the E in the Hope Trade bathroom jokes, notwithstanding Melissa Lee. For the record, you've been talking about your bathroom patterns for more than 10 years, guys. So it's not about yeah. age. Anyway, we're just getting started here on Fast Fair. Money. Here's what's coming point. up next. Bitcoin to $250,000. That's the call from our next guest as the crypto drops below the 60K mark. We've got the details next. Plus, casinos and credit cards. One group hitting the jackpot as one payment player gets declined. 
The traders are digging into those trades. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin getting crushed again. It is now off 16% since hitting all-time highs earlier this month. And what happens at your Thanksgiving dinner table may determine where Bitcoin goes next. Hedge fund manager Mark Yusko joins us to explain why. He runs Morgan Creek Capital Management and is the managing partner of Morgan Creek Digital. Mark, always good to see you. Thanks, Melissa. Way back when, it was at the Thanksgiving dinner table where people talked about Bitcoin. They started opening Coinbase accounts and they sent the thing to a record high in short order. You think this this happens again this time, given how hot NFTs are and Dogecoin and Shibcoin and you name it? I, you know, I do. I, I, I kind of like this pattern, Melissa. You know, we, we tend to get together uh, after these 20 percent drops. It happened in 2018 and I told the guys buy it uh, when it went from 10 to eight, I think during the show that I was on. Uh, happened again last year, it was on with, with Sully the day after in the wee hours of Black Friday, it went from 21 to 17 and I said, buy it. And uh, I'll say the same thing now, You know, we're down about 18% from the peak and, and you should buy it. Now, what does that mean? I don't mean buy it all right now. I mean, buy some today, buy some next week, buy some next month and the month after and uh, keep increasing your your dollar cost averaging you know this should be a core position in a long-term portfolio it's the best performing asset this year again after being the best performing asset last year and the year before so um you know all this discussion of the short-term price i i've said it on the show before and i'll say it again the price of bitcoin doesn't matter price is a liar what matters is owning a piece of the most powerful computing network the world has ever known and uh, you want to keep increasing your ownership. Well, yeah, I mean, you can say it doesn't matter, but really, you believe that it's going to 250000 So <laughs> that doesn't yeah. hurt when making the case to buy Bitcoin instead of just saying you want to own a piece of the most important computing network in the whole entire world in the course of, of mankind. So what yeah. gets us to 250 in four years? That's your call. Yeah, so the, the, the 250 number is, is not just pulled out of the air. That is gold equivalents the monetary value of gold equivalent. So total value of gold above ground is about 10 trillion. About half of that is jewelry and, and collectibles. The other half is the monetary value of gold. I think Bitcoin is digital gold. I think it'll easily get to that gold equivalence, uh, which would be about $250,000 per coin. 
Beyond that, there's a very strong case that it could take on global M2 over many decades. Um, but we don't need to talk about that right now. Hey, Mark, it's BK. So I'm curious, you mentioned this in four years, and I know you, you do a lot of work on the Bitcoin cycles. There's a controversy out there that, you know, maybe because we're seeing things like Mercado Libre accepting Bitcoin and having digital wallet, PayPal, all these things. Is it possible that that four year boom bust cycle won't happen as we get further into this adoption phase? Yeah, great point, BK. And look, the, the four year halving cycle is the primary uh, methodology for, for moving the price up. You think about it as the block rewards get cut in half, uh, the miners' costs don't change, so the price has to naturally accrete higher to keep them profitable to secure the network. It's a genius part of the design all the way back to Satoshi Nakamoto uh, themselves. And that four-year cycle is real. What tends to happen in that four-year cycle, and we're about 60% uh, of the way through this current cycle, is the speculators come in when that price movement starts to happen. And so we saw that, and the speculative price moved up into the, the high 60s, made new all-time highs. Uh, there are some even calling for 100 or even higher this year. I think that's certainly possible. I think, unfortunately, in this cycle, it got truncated a little bit. But your point, I think, is on the downside. Historically, after these up cycles, we saw 84% drawdowns in 2018 and 2015. I don't think we're going to see that uh, those depths of the bear market this time. I think there's so much institutional demand, so much increased use. Uh, I think the bear cycle will be lower. And, and back to the palindromes. You guys were talking about palindromes. The palindrome now is base. Bitcoin, Avalanche, Solana, Ethereum. You want to create a base in your portfolio of these critical infrastructure assets for the long term. Mark, thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks. Have a happy, happy Thanksgiving. You too. Happy Turkey Day. All right. Um, Dan Nathan, you follow the NFT world a lot. Uh, and so I'm, I'm wondering if you think, you know, you sit around Thanksgiving, you know, your grandma, your uncle say, hey, what are, what are these bored apes things or rocks? You know, should I buy one of these things? Mel, I, I think you have it right. And I think Mark just did a really excellent job making the case for Bitcoin, but he also kind of layered in there the Ethereum and the Solana. And that's really the platforms that the NFTs, I think that will be the thing that people are discussing about. I just aped into a couple last night here. Um, listen, that's where a lot of the excitement's going. And I think BK would tell you, that, yes, this institutional demand and adoption is great, but you also need to have some retail interest in it and not just focused on Bitcoin in away. So that's what I find really interesting. And I agree with Mark and I agree with BK when he says this. I am dollar cost averaging this stuff and I'm not thinking about it on a short term basis. Now, the NFTs, that's another thing. If these things go to zero and there are a lot of them out there, that might lose or temper some of the retail demand for crypto assets in general. By the way, we love Mark and we love the points that he makes, but palindrome is not what he was talking about. It's acronym. Palindrome, right, exactly, Guy, is the same word back and forth, like madam, for instance, without the E, of course. Um, anyway, Tim Seymour, you're an investor in Ethereum. If you're a believer that NFTs are going to you know, have a little spike, that should help Ethereum, in theory. 
I, I think there are so many investors that actually uh, do the mental math in Ethereum and units, and, and that's really what they're doing. I, I'm a major believer in the NFT world. Dan's right. There's a lot of zeros out there. Uh, I mean, you know, happen to be particularly close to the NFT music world and, and just what's going on in the art and music world uh, where I think you are unlocking value, but you have artists thinking about the world differently. You have the business model changing, uh, but it is ultimately converted back to Ethereum. So I agree with all of that. Um, and it's, you know, Ultimately, why I think most folks are having the conversation is much about Ethereum because it actually has everyday applications for them. Before we go, Bitcoin baller, what do you think? Where are we? Uh, you know, I, I, I tend to lean the fact that we are going, if anything, we're going to have a shallow type of bear market whenever, whenever that bear market comes. But I think it's interesting. What we're starting to see in the crypto market is dispersion. So Mark mentioned base. Yeah, you're seeing things like Avalanche and Atoms are actually up today with Bitcoin down. So the market's maturing a bit. Uh, I would agree. I, I think, you know, Bitcoin is here to stay. It's not going away. It should be 5 to 10% of anybody's portfolio. Uh, and so if you're not there... You know, get off your uh, seat and buy some. Coming up, casino stocks on a roll. Win, Las Vegas Sands, Malco all moving higher today. The big headline out of Asia that sent these stocks rallying and later declined. MasterCard under pressure again today. The stock is now down more than 10% in a week. Should you take a swipe at this pullback? Find out when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The casino stocks topping the tape today. Names like Las Vegas Sands and Wynn all pushing high. Higher uh, thanks to some big news out of Asia. Let's get to Contessa Brewer, who's got the details. Contessa. Hi there, Melissa. The boost in Wynn and Sands, the result of comparatively cheerful speculation about Hong Kong's border reopening soon. Look, this is a crucial feeder market for Macau visitation. In 2019, nearly a fifth of all tourists came from Hong Kong. And now a bridge connects Hong Kong to Macau. That makes a day trip possible if only the bridge would actually open to traffic. While the Hong Kong Free Press reports a Chinese delegation evaluating pandemic checkpoints and facilities, and that's what fueled, in part, the optimism about easing travel restrictions. Jeffrey's analyst David Katz noted today the Macau market could be close to bottoming, with current local COVID-19 outbreaks in China falling to single-digit daily cases and a partial China-Hong Kong border opening possible before year-end. But Katz warns China's zero-tolerance policy for covid infections has the potential to crimp any recovery. And it certainly adds uncertainty and volatility in a year next year when, Melissa, as you know, concession renewals are scheduled. So the U.S. listed casinos with exposure in Macau, you're there, you're seeing them. Wynn Resorts up 4%. You've got Las Vegas Sands up 6% on the day. Melco up 5 and a third percent. And MGM, which is much more reliant on its U.S. operations, up less than a percent. All right. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. Tim Seymour, how should we think about the casino space? I mean, Contessa outlined the the big push in the polls in terms of the positives and the negatives going on with the border reopenings. Yeah, I I just think that the mobility factors in in Asia, Southeast Asia especially, are are ones that are are exciting and and they're eventual. So, um, look, part of the the discount here really has been more about license renewals and concern about greater China risk. 
Uh, I think that's way overdone. Uh, I think Las Vegas Sands is the one to, to bet on, and yeah, pun intended, but a combination of $6 billion in cash have divested some Vegas assets to go into higher growth areas. Marina Bay in Singapore is, is you know, largely immune from any of that, that China risk. Again, the travel restrictions are, are real. They have been real. Uh, they've been a headwind. But you're buying Vegas Sands um, at under eight times, um, essentially you know, just off the COVID lows. Um, I, you know, this is, to me, a great opportunity. So I, I'm long Vegas Sands. I've talked about this for the last few weeks. Guy? I agree with Tim. I didn't think we'd get down to those, uh, those April 2020 lows. I think it was like 35 and a half, 36, but it did. And it seemingly has bounced. You know, I think LVS sort of got lumped in with the rest of these Chinese stocks. Whether that's justified or not doesn't matter. I think that's what happened. I think people come to the realization, Tim talks about this a lot, now, you don't buy these names when the news is at its best. You try to get them when it's at its worst. And I think we're through the worst of the news. So I do think there's upside. You look at some of the price targets in wind, for example, even on lowered price targets, you have analysts anywhere from 105 to 131. So absent of any further bad news, I think LVS is the one you want to buy here. And I don't think that bad news is coming anytime soon. All right, let's get up to a buzzkill here on MasterCard. Shares of the company falling more than 5% today. The stock is now near its February lows. The payment sector facing pressure overall as COVID cases rise both here and abroad. Guy, you actually flagged this move. So what are you seeing here in this chart? That's exactly right. I mean, this stock, you know, you look for the last five, six years, you've seen pullbacks in MasterCard and Visa, and it's been, as you know, great Dennis Gartman said, lower left to the upper right. But this is something different. We haven't seen a move of this magnitude in quite some time. And I'm glad you flagged those February lows because this sort of 320 level is where we bounced off of in February. It's critical that we hold here. What I find really interesting is seemingly for the first time in the last five or six years, people are starting to question MasterCard and Visa on valuation, conversations you have not heard uh, over that period of time. Now people are starting to talk about it. It's interesting. I'm not ready to write it off yet, but there's no denying that the price action, and Dan has talked about this, for the last couple of months has been dismal. This is a critical level that we need to hold this 320 level on MA. Yeah, Dan, what are you thinking? Yeah, and it's not just MasterCard and Visa. I mean, look at PayPal, we've been talking, about, that's down 19% on the year. You know, those two stocks, Visa and MasterCard, each down about 10%. Those are combined about a trillion dollars in market cap and they act very poorly. Throw in there how Square acted today and you say to yourself, something's going on here. I, I don't know what it is, but something bad is not, um, you know, is it, is just we don't know what it is yet because the S and P is still up 24 percent of the year, and a lot of these other banks, uh, you know, these, these they act really well here. So, um, you know, I don't know. You guys tell me what's going on, but it, these are not things. These are not dips. I feel like are ready to buy yet. BK, do you think that it's all the same for all of these families? I mean, they're very different companies, and maybe PayPal has a whole other host of of issues with the skepticism surrounding the the proposed pins acquisition that never happened. Yeah, so so I do. So there's a couple different things, right? So you have when Mastercard and Visa and American Express, let's lump them in there as well. They're under tremendous pressure from fintech. Their fees are going to go down. We know that. So on the long term basis, it's not a great business model. When you talk about something like PayPal and Square, those are your fintech competitors, and they still aren't doing well. So then you have to ask yourself. Is this telling us something about the consumer or is the market anticipating something about the consumer? And that either means they're going to spend less or they're going to change their habits. And so it probably means they're going to spend less after this holiday season. So that concerns me. I wouldn't be buying any of these right here. 
All right, coming up, we're gearing up for Gap. The retailer reports earnings tomorrow after the bell. We've got your setup straight ahead. But first, Elizabeth Holmes wrapping up her second day of testimony in her criminal trial. All the late-breaking details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're following a developing story out of San Jose, California, where former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes just wrapped up her second day of testimony in the criminal trial against her. Scott Cohn is live outside the courthouse with the very latest. Hi, Scott. Hi, Melissa. Remember, the heart of the government's case over the last 11 weeks against Elizabeth Holmes is the idea that she was lying to investors, patients, and doctors about her blood testing company that supposedly could perform hundreds of tests on a single or a couple drops of blood. Uh, In her testimony today, she talked about the things that, the good things that she was hearing and the reason that she had to be enthusiastic about that company, talking about breakthroughs that the company was uh, was making on a regular basis uh, just within a couple years of starting up. Things like miniaturizing automated blood tests, which could reduce lab errors, helping uh, drug companies uh, monitor the progress of a patient as they respond to a particular drug, even working with the Pentagon on the idea of monitoring wounded soldiers for infection and even post-traumatic stress syndrome. So she's trying to paint a much clearer, more complete picture, I suppose, than what the government has painted over the last 11 weeks. We asked her about that as she left court today. Do you feel like the jury is getting a clearer picture of you with your testimony? Of course, she didn't answer. She rarely does. She did give us a look. But clearly, the, the idea here is that they try and, uh, and show that Elizabeth Holmes had a lot to be enthusiastic about. Uh, perhaps she didn't tend to some of the problems that the company had, but that's not necessarily a crime. She will be back on the stand tomorrow with more uh, questioning from her attorney, Kevin Downey. Then they take a Thanksgiving break. The idea is perhaps the jury is left with that. Elizabeth Holmes testifying on a positive note. Cross-examination, though, from the government next week, and that could be brutal. Melissa? Should be interesting. Scott, thanks. Scott Cohn. We want to call your attention to Zoom. The stock is taking a big leg lower in the after-hour session, now hitting lows of the session, but the company's call underway, down six and a third percent at this point. Dan, what are your thoughts on Zoom? Yeah, listen, Mel, I suspect they're executing just fine in a really difficult environment. We've been talking for months and months and months just about like the deceleration that was going to happen here. That's happening. The problem is it still has a $70 billion market cap and it trades about 15 times sales. Those sales are going to increase mid-teens, which is great, but the earnings growth is flattening out here a little bit. So investors just think that there's just a lower valuation where this thing needs to trade. It still has a great balance sheet. They did a nice job. They raised billions of dollars in the last year, uh, earlier uh, this year in a secondary. So to me, uh, unfortunately, there's a price lower that this stock makes a lot of sense. I don't know what it is right now. Coming up, gap earnings on deck. How often traders are playing that one into the print. You're watching Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Zebra Technologies. You can catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now at cnbc.com backslash investing club or use a QR code on the side of your screen. 
All right, we've got some more retail earnings coming your way. Gap is reporting earnings tomorrow after the bell. The stock is well off its highs of the year. Options traders are betting there could be more pain to come before 2021 ends. Mike Coe joins us now to break down the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. So Gap stores, we saw nearly three times the 20-day average put volume. And right now, the options market is implying a move of over 11% by the end of the week, substantially higher than the 5% or so that the company has averaged over the last eight quarters. The most active options were the weekly 22 strike puts, over 5,000 of those traded for an average price of 58 cents. And a lot of that was actually institutional purchases. Buyers of those puts are obviously betting that the news could be disappointing and we could see further weakness following that earnings report. Tim, what are your thoughts on Gap these days? At one point, you did like it. It's like the the low hanging fruit of a restructuring story and kind of some of the repositioning and some of the loyalty programs and whatnot, I think, is out of the stock. The fact that there's uh, core brands in there, I I think actually some reacceleration at Old Navy, which was the stalwart for a long time, down 36 percent. You've been seeing short interest increase. It's it's up near 10 percent again. Uh, That's somewhat attractive, but I still think there's negative uh, sentiment that I think is approved to me on, on this company. I think they an incredible run. Um, but I think it's it's back to business, and I'm not ready to buy in. Yeah, how about you, Guy? That 22 level is where the stock took off like a race car back in February of this year, trade up to 35. We're back down to this level now. I think it should be on your radar screen, Mel, but I think we'll know by noon tomorrow which way. I think if it gets to 22, given the short interest, I think you buy it into earnings. But I've noticed about Gap, yeah, yeah, a lot of the pauses, very dramatic. Um, What I've noticed is that, you know, I'm getting coupons now, 40% off everything again, Brian Kelly. There was a time when they didn't happen, but now it's 40% off everything and with the 25% on top of that and, and, you know, so on and so forth. And I know how how carefully you check out those coupons, Melissa, so I believe that 100%. Uh, I think it's interesting. It sets up really well going into earnings. Yeah, there's some negative news at it, but it's had a bit of a run. I personally would love to see it dip on earnings and then rip right higher. That's when I would be a buyer. So bad news, good price action. That's what I'm looking for. All right. Thank you out there to Mike Coe for more options action. The next show is next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. trade, Tim. Banks Tim. catching up. Bank of America going higher. Dan? Yeah, lift back to a level prior to earnings where it broke out from. I'm a buyer. BK? Uh, if you think rates are going higher, TBT, that doesn't mean throwback Thursday. That means bonds. It's also a palindrome, right, guy? TBT. <laughs> mm. I dropped five on you there, Mel. I know. I think rates are going higher. MetLife, M-E-T. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.